Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's jump in here. We are in Romans 3. Uh, Last week, uh, we talked about uh, kind of this odd dynamic that exists in Christianity. Uh, and, And ultimately, it is this weird dynamic that allows us to stay rooted as Christians. Uh, Christians are, at least Christians should be, maybe I should say, uh, the, the rarest human beings on the planet. If you are truly walking out the gospel, because of the strangeness that we have here in, in, in what we talked about last week, Christianity, contrary to popular belief, is not a set of rules that we must obey. That's what most people equate Christianity to, and really it's moralism. That's, that's moralism, rule following. And that's not what Christianity is. And we talked about that last week because the tendency that Christians fall into was the same tendency that Jews fell into in the Old Testament, is that if we are obeying the law apart from God, we fall into pride right? Because it's not God-righteousness, it's self-righteousness, right? And so you can obey all the rules that you want, but if you're not obeying them in obedience to the Holy Spirit, it's self-righteousness, right? There's God's way, and there's man's way. Everything that is not God's way is sin, correct? And so even in our righteousness, Even when we perform righteous deeds, those righteous deeds must be done out of obedience to God. They must be done. For Christians today, they must be done by the Holy Spirit, through his power and obedience to him. So we've got to remember that. On the flip side of that, for Christians, there's this strange anchor that exists in our past, in our sin, The anchor is not our sin. We've got to be careful on that, right? Because some people will say, well, if the anchor is our sin, then why let go of sin? The anchor is not sin. The anchor is grace. But you can't experience grace unless you recognize the mistakes that you've made in your past, right? And that's the problem that we have with a lot of Christians today. The church has gotten away. The church today in the United States preaches a grace-filled message, And that's great, but the problem is we refuse to talk about the reason that we need grace, the sin that necessitates grace, right? And without talking about this, we don't understand our need for a Savior. Jesus Christ is the very breath that we breathe. That's how dependent we are as Christians upon grace, right? And so we can't forget, yes, Jesus Christ has called us out of that tomb. We are to walk out of the death that is sin. We are to walk away from sin. 
but we can't forget where we came from, right? So what this does, this, this dynamic, it causes in Christians this new self-awareness that you cannot get anywhere else. Because on the one hand, you see your sin in the past. You see the pit that you were in, the way that you were lying on the side of the road, dead to rights, and Jesus Christ, the, it was only by the death of the Son of God that you could even be saved. No other sacrifice would do, y'all. It had to be God giving his life for you because he's the one we've sinned against, right? And that humbles you. You cannot stand hearing that preached at you and feel good about that, right? Nobody's puffing up their chest like, yeah, that was me. At least you shouldn't. If you do, you got a problem right? But at the same time, at the exact same time, Jesus Christ was glad to give his life for you. There is nothing that makes our God happier than when his children come running home to him, when the lost are found. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you've come from, there is nothing that makes God happier than thinking about an eternity with you, his child. That affirms you all the way up to the heavens, doesn't it? You see this delicate balance in Christianity? It is, it is, and when you look at the disciples who are walking out this gospel message, when you look at the life of Paul and when he's writing these letters, you see so clearly this balance on the one hand, Paul is one of the most humble men on the planet, right? But on the other side, when the church needs correcting, he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't say, oh, well, um, guys, you really shouldn't be. He doesn't, right? He does so forcefully and with confidence. And it's not self-confidence, it's God-confidence, Paul knows that in, his, in and of himself, actually, uh, before Caitlin Motzinger, who did lead worship for us, uh, and then she moved to Texas, but before she left, she bought me, she was out sh like at somewhere with a friend, and she found this mug, and she bought it for me, and it said, uh, the mug says, Godfidence. And it says, knowing that I can't, but that he can. And that's the kind of confidence that Christians walk around with. It's this Godfidence being absolutely humbled that I, in and of myself, am a complete screw-up. Y'all, that doesn't change with the gospel, right? Well, Jeremy, don't say that about yourself. You're a child of God. Yeah, you're right, as long as I walk in dependence upon him, because as soon as I step out of that and pretend I know what I'm doing on my own, I'm right back in the mess that he pulled me from, right? And so it's this all the time, this constant dependence on God, this confidence that Jeremy Metzger by himself is trash. Y'all don't want to follow Jeremy because I've screwed up my life enough. I don't want to screw yours up too. But y'all, when I'm following God, let's follow God together. And I've got the confidence that as we walk together after God, you all are going to be in the right spot because we're not, you're not following me, right? You're following me as I follow Christ. So really, you're following Christ, right? That's that confidence. That's that balance that we walk in as the gospel. The problem that we have with this is that it does cause some questions to arise. And this is apparent by what Paul says in this chapter of Romans. And it causes us to ask the question, 
Why bother with righteousness? And this really is the question that Paul brings up here in this next chapter of Romans. If righteousness can be such a snare, if there is such a danger in righteousness of pride, of falling into pride, if there is such grace, such mercy in sin, then why bother with righteousness at all, right? Why not just sin, stay in sin, accept the grace, and then we don't have to worry about falling into the pride of righteousness, right? Y'all, don't sit there and shake your heads and act like, well, that's preposterous, right? We have a tendency to do that. We forget how many Christians are doing that currently. This isn't a Romans problem. This is a human race problem. It's existed from the beginning of the time, and if we get confident in ourselves, we are just as apt to slip back into this. God will not allow this nonsense of why righteousness, why bother with righteousness. God doesn't allow it, so Paul doesn't allow it, right? This is what he says. Paul says, but if our righteousness, we didn't read this today, this is in the first part of Romans, it wasn't our scripture reading, but, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking from a human viewpoint. Far from it, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if, through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come of it. Their condemnation is well deserved. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. I love this about Paul. We got to be a little careful when we read the Bible, when we read stories about Jesus. I see people do this with Jesus all the time, and it drives me bananas. But we, we tend to read our personality into characters of the Bible, right? And so we get, you know, if, if you have a great sense of humor and you love playing and joking around, you, you paint Jesus to be this little jokester who's running around, you know, playing tricks on Peter and all this stuff. That's reading our personality into Jesus, right? I got to be careful here because I don't want to do this to Paul, but at the same time, when I read Paul's letters and he gets into these rhetorical questions, there's a little bit of sarcasm coming out of Paul here, right? And that gives me some comfort because I'm a very sarcastic person. I think God is a little sarcastic. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Job. I know that's a super twisted book to have as your favorite book of the Bible, but uh, and what I love so much about it is Job spends the entire book of Job going back and forth with his friends about, I am innocent, I've never done anything wrong. If God could stand before me right now, I'd plead my case against him. And God shows up, and what's the first line of logic that God goes to? The first thing God goes to is, oh, Job, Job, come, come here. You, you were here on the earth when it was formed, right? Could you t tell me, tell me, since you're so wise, tell me how the foundations of this earth were set up. I mean, you, you've seen, you see where the, the rain comes from and the snow, right? You know where those things come from, right? Could you tell me, right? Now, God's not asking Job because he's really curious, right? God knows where the rain comes from, right? 
So there's this, there's this bit of sarcasm that God comes at Job with. You don't know, Job. You don't know. So you, don't, you can't possibly understand the reasons why you went through the things that you went through. And what's amazing to me, and why, that's not why the book of Job is my favorite, but why it is, is Job's response afterwards. Because Job doesn't even question God anymore. As soon as he sees the face of God, as soon as he experiences God in all of his holiness, he asks for forgiveness. He says, forgive me, Lord, for I spoke as one without knowledge. He doesn't even ask God, right? The whole book of Job, he's like, why is this happening? Why, why, why? He sees God, the question's gone. God, I don't even need to know why it's happening. You are enough. That's faith, right? That's the kind of faith that I want in my life, to walk through any storm that this life throws and to say, God, I don't know why it's happening, but you are enough. Sorry, that was a tangent. That was free. But sarcasm, Paul's got it. He's going through these rhetorical questions. But clearly, through these questions that we see Paul addressing, there was a mishandling of the gospel going around, right? Some people were saying that this is what Paul was preaching, that because Paul's message was full of grace, that he was preaching, go ahead and sin, and God's going to cover it anyway. And that's not what Paul was preaching. Then there were other people who were preaching, go ahead and sin, because God's going to cover it anyway. And you can't do either of those things, right? And what is Paul's response? And we got to be careful here, because we've hit on this the first couple of weeks, right? Paul says, he says first, no. Nope. You missed it. You missed the gospel entirely. That is not what it says. And then he tells everybody how big a jerks they are and that you should stay away from these people and never talk to them. No, he doesn't, does he? It's exactly what we talked about in Romans 1 and 2, right? Paul doubles down on it. He says, look at, look at verses 9 and 10. What's he say? Are we better than they? Absolutely not. We all have been guilty of mishandling the gospel at one point of our lives whether it was before we became a Christian and we mishandled the gospel because we didn't believe in it, whether we believed in the gospel and we just didn't walk it out the right way, we all have been guilty. We all have sinned against God, right? So don't judge these people. Correct them. Teach them. As my father-in-law would say, they just haven't been discipled. Disciple with them. Show them a better way. Y'all, we got to get this down in our spirit, right? When we walk with people, when, when we see people, when we see churches and Christians doing the wrong thing, when we see the world doing the wrong thing, don't judge them. Talk to them. Teach them. Show them that there's a better way, right? That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what Christians are supposed to be. So what is that better way? How do we walk in righteousness? And we're going to break it down three ways. First, we're going to look at the honor of righteousness that Paul talks about. Then we're going to look at how our righteousness is simply borrowed righteousness. That makes it a whole lot easier to walk into it. And then finally, we're going to look at what that walk looks like. What does the righteous walk look like? So first, the honor of righteousness. And y'all, I think 99% of Christians miss this. I think 99% of Christians miss this. And it, it, I, I, you know what do they say, 70% of statistics are made up on the spot? Is that what it is? 
I'm, I'm guessing at 99%, I don't know that it's actually that, but a very high number of Christians miss this. Guys, it is an honor to walk with God. You guys get that? It is an honor to walk with God. To, to have the God of the universe. This is the most powerful being in all of creation. He made all of this from nothing. Simply spoke a word and it all came into existence. And he wants a relationship with me. You guys know, number one, I mean that's humbling, right? Holy moly. But number two, what an honor that he has asked me to join him to do his work, to do his will here on this earth. You know, like I said, majority of Christians, I think, run around looking at, at, at this Bible and, oh, it's so heavy. Oh, there's so many things to do. Oh, I got to do this right and this right and this right. And we miss the honor of the calling. You know, we, we, we look at pastors and we look at worship leaders and, oh, well, yeah, that's an honorable calling. Stop. Stop. Before God ever called me to be a pastor, he called me to be his child. And y'all, every single pastor that stands up on a Sunday morning or whatever, Wednesday night, whenever they preach and preaches this word, they were called as a child of God first. That's the ultimate calling. Forget what happens after that. What happens after that's very important, but it's got to be done out of obedience, right? As a child. But the child of God is the most important call on a Christian's life. And every single one of us has called to come into that intimate relationship with the Father. That is an honor. And if we walk with God, we walk in righteousness. Therefore, it is an honor to walk in righteousness. This is what Paul says. He says, then what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Far from it. Rather, God must prove to be true, though every person be found a liar as it is written, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Now here Paul is talking specifically about Jews. We ended Romans 2, remember, and, and he was talking about circumcision and you know whether or not Gentile Christians needed to become fully Jewish in order to be Christian, and God settled that argument, right? In Acts 10, the Holy Spirit falls on Gentile believers before they're circumcised, saying what is done on the outside isn't what's important. It's what's done on the inside that's important. And that's how Paul closed Romans 2. He said, circumcision is circumcision of the heart. Walking in righteousness is walking in righteousness of the heart. You do it inside first, and then the deeds come out, right? And so he's, he's coming back to that. You know, because, you, you know, you, you would come to think, well, th well then, you know, if, if being Jewish isn't important anymore, then who cares? And what's Paul say? He says, absolutely not. Y'all, the Jews carried salvation. Christian, be so very careful. There's, now, you go through church history if you really feel like studying it. Ryan, I know you love church history, but if, if y'all want to study church history, go for it. I'm not a huge history person, but it is beneficial to, to study church history so you know where we came from. Because you can see, y'all, the, the Christian church, very early on, they tried to separate themselves from the Jewish church. 
And in order to do so more succinctly, they introduced a very anti-Semitic message into the church that exists still to this day in some ways. Christians still very much, we may not, be, we not, may not consider ourselves anti-Semitic where we actually persecute Jews, but we've got this idea in our head, Jews bad, Christians good, right? We look at the Pharisees and we say, look, the Pharisees who were all the Jews, they were evil, so all Jews are evil. Guys, the Pharisees made up an extremely small part of the Jewish people. There were Jews who did it right, and we know that because there were Jews who accepted Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, thousands were being added to their group. Y'all, the first couple days when they're going through that, that's not thousands of Gentiles. There may have been some Gentiles mixed in there, but that's primarily Jewish people, right? Jesus Christ was a Jew. The word of God came first to the Jews, right? We've got to stop with this separation because as we're going to learn from Paul, Paul's going to, we're going to get to this in about eight weeks, but in Romans, Paul's going to tell us as Christians, as Gentiles, we have been grafted into that root, which means we're not Jewish. We don't all have to walk around putting, you know, yarmulkes on and all that kind of stuff. Like it's not that, but we're grafted into the family, When Jesus Christ looks at his family, he sees all of us together, right? And so, but but what an honor that is for the word of God to come to the Jews, right? So Paul's saying, Jews, it's still an honor to be Jewish. It's still an honor to look back at your heritage and to celebrate because that's how the word of God was delivered. And it was in honor that the word of God came through you. But even us as Gentiles, I, now I'm making an assumption here. Is, does anybody, is anybody Jewish in here? I don't think we have any Jewish roots here at the Gospel House, maybe deep in family trees somewhere or whatever. But, but for all of us here, we're all Gentiles then. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So we're all Gentiles. We have been grafted in, right? Which means the word of God now comes through who? Us, you and me. Guys, do you see what an honor that is? God has given us the gospel message to proclaim. The God of all the universe. I want to paint a picture for you real quick, just to give you an illustration on this. Imagine that you get a call from the President of the United States. Now, If you don't like this current president, imagine you got a call from the old president of the United States, right? We're so politically divided right now. We'll put both candidates out there, right? Then we hit both parties. You all can picture this, right? Because we get some, oh, I'm hanging up on him right away. Yeah, right. You get a call from Joe Biden. You're going to listen to what he says. He's the president for crying out loud, right? The president of the United States calls you, and he says to you, We'll, we'll, I'll be in this picture, all right? He says to Jeremy, he says, Jeremy, I got a message that you absolutely have to get to this guy named Chris who's out in California. Okay, Jeremy, I, y- you don't understand. If you don't get this message to Chris, the entire United States, financial system will collapse, nuclear warheads will go off everywhere. I mean, the the nation is hanging in the balance. I mean, number one, I'm feeling a little bit like Nicholas Cage at this point, right? 
I'm ready to bust into this action movie. There's probably guys I'm going to have to kickbox. It's going to be fun. But you got to get there. You've got to do it. First response is probably going to be, why are you calling me? I mean, you've got, like, Secret Service and stuff and, like, guys who are military trained to do this. Like, send them. Send Steven Seagal. Send somebody who can karate chop stuff, right? I can't do any of that stuff. He says, no, it's got to be you. I will give you everything you need to get there. I got the plane is booked. It's sitting at the Bowling Green Airport. It's booked. Just get to the plane. I got, you got a blank check, as much money as you need. They'll have a credit card. Whatever you need, here's the guy's location, but you got to get to him. You got to get to him, right? After that initial shock is over of what in the world is going on here, you really going to say no to that? Right? Why? Because it's the President of the United States. He's got honor. He's got a position, right? He's supposed to anyway. Right? So why do we balk when God calls us to deliver the gospel. Y'all, God is greater than any president that has ever ruled over these United States, right? Some Christians, I think, need a little wake-up call on that one. <laughs> God is greater than any president who has ever reigned over these United States. And yet, so few of us view this gospel message as the honor that it is. It is so rare to find someone who views bearing the gospel as an honor and not a burden. We look at what the gospel is going to cost us, and, and that's good initially. Jesus tells us to count the cost, but guys, we've got to move on from that. After we've counted the cost, we've got to view it as the honor that it is. You carry the gospel message of salvation. What do we read in Romans 1, right? The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all mankind. Y'all, you have the power of God for all mankind to be saved, right? This isn't an action movie. This isn't a script. This is real life. You have souls to save. You have been called Every single one of us, y'all, it doesn't matter if you feel good enough or not. If you flip back to, to Exodus, you know, Moses gets called by God, right? And he begs God, God, please send somebody else. I've got, I've got this speech problem. I can't speak clearly. I'm, I'm nervous. I don't want to do this. Please send somebody else. And he goes and he goes and he goes and he goes. And finally, God, God gives in, right? But it's not that Moses doesn't have to go. It's I'll send someone with you. Y'all, if you got to, pray for somebody to go with you. But one th option that is not on the table is to not go. You gotta go. You've got to carry this gospel message. You've gotta be a disciple. You've got to go because it is an honor to go. And I think, guys, if the world sees Christians who view this gospel message as an honor... I think it's going to be a whole lot more acceptable to people because we're not going to carry the gospel around like this heavy weight, come follow me as I follow Christ, and it's so sad and gloomy, right? No, it's an honor. It's an honor to preach the gospel, and people will see that, and they'll know it, but we've got to carry it.
a very particular way. And we've got to do that with borrowed righteousness. This is mandatory in the gospel, y'all. We can never, ever, ever forget that the righteousness of the gospel, the righteousness of God is never ours. When you become a Christian, God doesn't hand you his righteousness and it becomes yours, right? It is always borrowed. Now look, when, when he looks at you, he sees you as righteous, right? But he does not see your righteousness. Whose does he see? Jesus's, right? When he sees you, he sees Christ's righteousness living in you. And that's how we as Christians are judged. But that means you cannot revert to start doing righteousness in your way again, right? This is what Paul says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in God's merciful restraint, he let the sins previously committed go unpunished. For the demonstration, that is, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The gospel is whose righteousness? Not yours, right? Never yours. It is the righteousness of God. It is the righteousness of Jesus. There's this faulty idea in Christianity that Jesus came to be an example to us, right? That we read through the Gospels and that we see Jesus, how he lived, and we say, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to mimic what Jesus did, right? That's not what the Gospel says. It's, 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 it's hard because it's a half-truth, right? And we talked about this. Half-truths are what? lies, right? If it's not the full truth, it's not like, okay, like 90% true, false. It's a lie. If it's not completely true, it's a lie. So here's what's weird about it. There is one thing that we are supposed to mimic Jesus on, but we miss it. It is not righteousness. It is surrender. It is dependence. It is, I mean, we could break it down. It's selflessness. We, we are to mimic the attitude of Christ insofar as, as Jesus surrendered to the Holy Spirit, that's what we're to do, right? After Jesus was baptized, we've talked about this, the Holy Spirit came down on him as a dove and it stayed with him. The Holy Spirit made its home with Jesus, made his home with Jesus, Right? And every single day, I love this example from the book of John. I know I talk about it all the time. Eventually, we'll get it down into our hearts and start doing it too. But every time, Jesus tells the people, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I say, what the Father's telling me to say, right? Every time. And this is the Son of God. Yet we have Christians preaching from the pulpit. There's, the, the, there's this self-help Christianity, that you can be self-sufficient. If you just apply these three practices, you can live like Jesus too. Not what the gospel says. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel was never meant to be practical in that way. And I'm afraid as, as Americans, we love practical stuff, right? 
just flip on YouTube, show me how to fix a toilet, and give me the practical stuff, right? Right? I love, Jana and I joke about this all the time, but you'll get on, you'll get on like Pinterest, I don't have Pinterest, but Jana does, but you know, like, I just want a recipe for butternut squash soup, right? I just want a recipe for butternut squash soup, so I go on, oh, here's one, click on it. When I was a child, my grandfather used to walk me through the fields of yore. I don't care about your history. I just want to make soup, right? <laughs> but, that's, but that's what it is. I just want the practical steps. Just tell me how much milk to put in it, how much squash needs to go in it, and I'm good to go. Christianity is not that way. You guys, there's this Old Testament story, and I've never understood it until just now, but you know, where, where in Genesis, they're building this tower, right? The Tower of Babel, and they're building it, and they're building it, and God looks down, and he sees it, and he sees that they're being successful. And so he does what any two-year-old does. He goes down, and he kicks the, block over, the blocks over and makes a big mess, right? No, he doesn't do that, but kind of. He, he stops them, right? And I've never understood, like, God, what, why? Why did you do that? Like, you do kind of look like a two-year-old. Like, the block tower got too tall, and you just wanted to kick it down, so you destroyed it. But guys, all through the Bible, God is begging humanity to just do things the right way, right? And he created us, so he's the only one who can tell us how to do things the right way. And if the Tower of Babel shows us anything, it shows us man was building this tower in their own strength, and they were succeeding, and what's the most loving thing that a God could do when man is succeeding in his own way? Knock the tower down. Stop them, right? Because God isn't looking for us to be uber successful. He's looking for us to be his. On this earth, guys and girls, I say guys a lot, it's that Northwest Ohio thing, don't miss this. On this earth, God wants you to be his more than he wants you to be successful, you to be comfortable, you to be rich, you to be happy, you to be whatever else the church is trying to peddle out there to become popular. Y'all, leave it for the mediums and spiritists right? Leave it for the Eastern religions that want to teach you all that stuff. Leave it for the karma. Leave it for all of that crap. Leave it. Because the gospel says God wants you to be his, which means it's not practical. It is every moment of every day plugging into the source. God himself You've got Pentecostal Christians running around talking about how they want to be an Acts 2 church and they want the Holy Spirit to fall and they want all this stuff, but they refuse, they absolutely refuse to daily walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that can only come through a life surrendered. They want the Holy Spirit as long as they can control it, as long as they can manipulate it, as long as it does what they want to do as long as it fits their ministry. Guys, my God is not tame. That lion of Judah, he's not a tame lion. And every time I've ever seen a Christian try to put him in a cage, ooh, step back, because it gets messy real quick. 
right? Every day. Y'all, if right, our righteousness is borrowed, that requires us to stay plugged into the source, doesn't it? It means that we've got to keep coming back. We've got to keep borrowing that righteousness every moment of every day, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ offers. That's the side of the gospel that people don't, they tend to not take the gospel far enough, right? We stop it after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus stood up on the cross and said, it is finished, and so we stop the gospel. Y'all, that's not where the gospel ends. The gospel ends with the Holy Spirit filling us, and the gospel, I mean, ultimately, the gospel is not over yet. It will end when we stand before God himself, and he takes us by the hand and ushers us into his kingdom by his power, not because of anything we've done, but we have got to stay plugged into the source. And that's exactly what this righteous walk looks like. We've got to walk in righteousness. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to anything else, right? The Holy Spirit will never lead you to walk in unrighteousness. He will always lead you to walk in righteousness, but that righteousness has to be His. If it is a gift that God has given, then it's His. We've got to hold on to it loosely, right? Never stop borrowing. Stay dependent. Stay plugged in. And this causes a very specific reaction in us. And I think this, if you dig down to the root, I think this is the problem that most of us have with the gospel. Paul says this in Romans 3. He says, Where then is boasting? It has been excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. See, here is our problem, if we're being honest. We want a piece of the pie, don't we? God has his glory. It's existed from the beginning of time. But if we're being really honest, we want a little bit of it, right? Come on, y'all. Don't pretend like I'm the only one. Everybody's looking at me like I got three eyes up here. No, 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 no. No, see, this isn't a gospel house problem. This is a human nature problem, right? And it's only been perpetuated by the culture that we live in today. Because what do we have? Kids go to baseball tournaments and every single one of them gets a trophy, right? We all get participation trophies. Yay, you did great. You didn't win a game. You didn't try hard. You were picking sunflowers, not sunflowers, what are they called? Dandelions out in the outfield. Not many baseball diamonds have sunflowers growing in the outfield. If they do, you probably shouldn't be playing baseball there. But that's a problem, right? We all want a participation trophy. And y'all, we carry that baggage with us into our relationship with God. And so we do something good. God, I served a soup kitchen today. Where's my, where's my participation trophy? Don't I get a gold sticker? Right? And we have churches that preach 
every good deed you do, you get a jewel for your crown up in heaven. Every good deed you do, God adds a, man, or a, a room to your mansion. So for just $69.99, if you'll tithe to the church, to, right? Y'all, careful. Be careful what you consume. This is, this is what worries me so much about, we, we are so saturated with Christian literature and Christian podcasts out there today. Guys, it is not all good. You have got to be so careful when you're reading these things because some of it is absolute trash. But we, it comes in the Christian section, and so we just buy it hook, line, and sinker. We consume it, and we swallow the whole thing, and the whole time we got chicken bones sticking out our throat because, guys, careful, right? I had a friend, you know, they sent me a YouTube video once, and I watched it, and I sent back a critique of the YouTube video. I said, well, I really liked what he said about discipling, but I didn't like this, didn't like this, didn't like this. He said, well, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. And I sent a reply back, yeah, but what happens if you start choking on a bone? Right? Y'all be careful. The word of God is enough. You want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ? If God needed extra resources, now look, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not telling everybody, put down your books, only read your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But if, if God needed more than this, he would have given us more than this. He didn't, which means that this is all he needs to get you saved. This is all he needs to get you to be the fullest disciple that you could possibly be. Is it good to get other people's opinions? Is it good to get other people's ideas? Yes, but be so careful. Because if you ever start relying on somebody else and not completely on God, it's dangerous, y'all. Be very, very careful. Because we find ourselves boasting in all sorts of other things, don't we? Because we want the attention. So we boast in other books we've read. We boast in other deeds we've done. We boast in how straight we've been walking lately, right? Paul says this, he mirrors this very similarly. One of my favorite Bible verses, Galatians 6, 14. We had our kids memorize this Bible verse. It says this, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is the attitude that we need to walk in his righteousness. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that we should ever boast in. Not in our church, not in your pastor, not in your worship team. We got to be careful, y'all, because as the church has become more corporate, what has the church done? Well, we got to advertise, right? And look, y'all, I'll be honest with you. I made this mistake, but you will never see this again from the Gospel House. When we first started the Gospel House, we did these little testimony videos, and we'd post them to social media. And what we did is we'd send out a message to a couple people and just said, like, hey, can you just do a little video recording and, and, and tell, like, all the reasons why you love being at the Gospel House? And we had them do that, and we posted them to social media, right? Because we want people to see what the Gospel House has to offer. 
But in doing so, were we boasting in Jesus? Or were we boasting in our church? Right? Y'all, I'll never do it again. Foot down. You will never see it again. Because y'all, if God's going to grow our church, then he's going to grow our church. But I don't want to grow our church. I don't want to be the one responsible for that. Because there's God's way, and there's man's way, right? And if I build this church on my shoulders, if I grow this church, if I, you know, everybody, go tell everybody how great your pastor is, and let's do pastor appreciation every doggone week, and if, if I do that, guys, what's going to happen? I mean, the worst thing that could possibly happen is we succeed, right? We build that tower, and God doesn't tear it down. And then guess what happens when I leave? Guess what happens when I die or when God calls me somewhere else? The church collapses because it was built on a personality, not on God. So we build everything on God, which means we boast only in God. But y'all, this can turn personal too. It's not just the church. Because we can boast in the things that we do right? We can boast about how many gospel tracts that we passed out. We can boast about, you know, how generous we are to our servers at restaurants. We can boast about all of these things, and it does the same thing for you. If you do it, collapse is going to come. If you're fortunate, that collapse will come before the day of judgment, because God help us if that collapse comes on the day of judgment right? But unfortunately, we convince ourselves that we do this to sell the gospel. Y'all, social media is such a poison. I'm sorry if you love being on social media. It's a poison, y'all. Even in just talking about this stuff, I see Christians post all the time, we had 73 healed today in our revival meeting, and I laid hands on 17 people, and where in the world, and oh, oh, by the way, P.S. edit, praise God. Whoops, forgot to put that as the first thing. Right? We can get so dangerously close to promoting ourselves that we forget to boast in the gospel. But as for me, y'all, may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And then let the world do what it wants. Because guys, it's been crucified to me. This world means nothing to me anymore. I read Elam. He was having a rough week this week. So I read him Psalm 73. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but there's one verse in Psalm 73 Says, says, Lord, I have nothing besides you. And, or I have, you, oh man, I can't remember what it says now. But besides you, I desire nothing on this earth. And I love that. God, outside of you, there is nothing this world has for me. I desire nothing on this earth. That's hard though, isn't it? 
ladies and gentlemen, the enemy has very craftily designed this world. Now, God designed the world, but after it fell, the enemy moves. It's his. He, he has free reign to, to do what he will here. And, and as, until Jesus comes back, the enemy works to make it impossible for you to do this on your own. Right? Y'all know it. Every single one of us in this room, I don't know what your personal story is, but every single one of us in this room, you've got that thing, that thing, and you know what it is. As soon as I said that thing, you know what it is. It's there. You know it. And it's that thing that keeps you from running after Jesus with everything that you have. And most of the time, y'all, they're good things. Now, look, some of us have addictions. Addictions aren't good things, right? But, I mean, depending on who you talk to, we can convince ourselves they're good things, right? But, but even those of us who, oh, well, I'm out of the wood on, woods on addiction. I don't have that to deal with. Careful. Because lots of times the enemy uses what's masked as a good thing to be something that could trip us up. I've told you all this before. Mine's my family. I hate being away from my family. I hate it. You know, if God calls me to like an overseas mission trip or something, that's going to be hard for me because I don't want to be away from my family for that long. But you've got to be so careful. Pastor Tim Keller says, anytime you tell God, God, I will follow you all of my days, just don't ask me to. He said, whatever comes after those three dots, that's your idol. God, I will follow you all the days of my life. Just don't make me give up. There's your idol. But y'all, the quicker we give that up, the quicker we get to see God move. But you can't do it on your own. Right? That's what the gospel says. I can't. But Jesus did. And now, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, He will do it. He will do the work. But we've got to throw out this idea of this self-sufficient Christianity. Either the Holy Spirit is driving your righteousness, or it's not righteousness at all. Right? God's way man's way. The Holy Spirit has to drive. Let's end on this. Here's what's crazy about all of this, and I'm afraid what ends up happening in this sermon, in this, is we get stuck in one of two places, and God doesn't want us in either of those places, right? We either get stuck on the other side of this fence where what I'm about to say, we camp out there, or we get stuck on this side and we just beat ourselves up, right? We get out the whips and just whip our backs and woe is me all day long, right? God doesn't want us on either of those. He wants us right in the middle. But what's insane about this, this this whole thing, is that if we as Christians walk in borrowed righteousness— if we walk in complete humility, if we boast completely in the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing that we have done, God invites us in to his glory. You get that? 
read your word. That's not Jeremy. That's what the Bible says. If we come to God in humility, he invites us in to his glory. He brings us in, but that is a move that he has to initiate. The problem that we have is we have Christians who get stuck in this, you know, well, boldly I approach the throne of God, and God, I demand healing because that's what your word says. You can't come to God that way. You can't come to God that way because that's not a humble walk. We come to God in humility. Our problem is a lot of times we come to God through back doors, right? We come to God, but we come to him seeking glory. I come to him to say, well, yeah, God will serve you, but I really want some of this credit. I'll serve you, but I really want you to start making things go my way. I'll serve, and, and y'all, can I be honest with you? I was saved the day I gave my heart to Jesus. We talked about this on Wednesday night. I shared this with some of you. But I gave my heart to Jesus that night. It was a Wednesday night because I went to church to impress that girl right there. There was this really cute girl. I was trying to do all the right things to get her to finally say yes as I asked her out. She just wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. So I thought, all right, I'll go to church. And doggone it, y'all, the preacher stood up there and preached a message on the prodigal son. I was cut to the quick. thought, oh, he's talking to me. And my father-in-law prayed with me, and I gave my heart to Jesus that night. Sometimes we come through back doors, and God grabs a hold of us and says, you're not going anywhere, buddy, right? But, y'all, we've got to be careful. I'm not advocating coming to God that way. Definitely not advocating continually coming to God that way, right? We've got to come to God humbly. And when we do so, let him invite us in. Let him enter in or invite us in to that, that glory, right? To where we share for all of eternity in glorifying God. It's impossible to do on our own, right? When are we going to realize that we cannot do any of this on our own? I will tell you this. The moment we do, it is like breathing for the first time. It is like a breath of fresh air. There is such glorious freedom that comes when we finally reach the end of ourselves when we finally get to the point of stop trying to do it on our own. You have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been anointed by the Holy Spirit living inside of you right now. You have been equipped by God himself to deliver this life-changing message to everyone that he has called you. Everyone. You can change the eternity of someone. What an honor, right? What a privilege. And all you have to do is say what God tells you to say, right? But that requires that we trust Jesus. 
how many of us trust Jesus. I mean truly trust Jesus. We're going to close uh, with this old hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If you've heard that one before. But as we do it, I, I don't even really want anybody to stand. You can sing if you want to sing along. But I really want you to just focus on the words. Uh, I, don't, I, I can't remember. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I've, I've read the story of this. The, the, way, the way this hymn was written, uh, a woman wrote it. And she wrote it right after her and her wife and her husband were going for a walk. And there was a boy uh, in this bay where they lived who was drowning. And her husband dove into the water to save him. And he died trying to save the boy. The, he didn't save the boy. Neither of them made it out of the water. And when the woman got home, she wrote this hymn. You feel that? <laughs> after watching her husband drown, came home with the words to say, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," just to take him at his word. That's next-level faith, y'all. But that's what we need to do. That's where we need to get. That kind of trust in Jesus, to say, "'Jesus, Whatever you've called me to do, whatever you've called me to walk through, I am running with everything I have. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.